0: Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Hark. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have John Pomeroy. He's the CEO and co-founder at Playin. John, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Kevin. Thanks.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. It's also um, nice to talk to a fellow Canadian about kind of the startup space and kind of what they're doing. Um, But maybe before we kind of get into playing, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with kind of where you grew up.
1: Sure. I I grew up in Ottawa, actually, the nation's capital.
0: Yeah. Okay. And then walk me through kind of your career a little bit um you you, you've kind of had a bit of an interesting kind of career leading up to founding a company so do you kind of want to walk me and the listener through your your kind of career up until playing
1: yeah sure um you know i think i think at this level you know everybody's got a pretty interesting career so um mine definitely took a circuitous route um a little bit unusual i started out uh, really coming out of, out of high school and into into college um, in the arts, uh, liberal arts, I, I studied photography and, and actually went into the photography business, began doing photography for a few years. Okay. Um, along the way, I, I always sort of had um, an interest, a desire, an affinity, whatever you want to call it, towards technology and electronics and, and, and all of that. I found it quite fascinating. Um, and... Uh, So when, you know, in the photography business, when digital imaging began to emerge, um, I, you know, sort of took a turn toward that and started, you know, pursuing that avenue a little bit. Um, And uh, I don't know how much detail we want to get into, but through a, a, you know, a chain of events, I found myself, uh, you know, in business doing integration of these digital cameras, at very high end, you know, solutions for, you know, catalog studios and things which strangely led to being in the, in the video semiconductor business okay, um, interesting. In, a, in a company called Genesis Microchip, also based here in Toronto, uh, in Canada. Um, and you know, the Genesis solution, when I joined them, um, it was the sort of the first. It was the emergence of flat panel monitors. So sure, some people I remember may remember the original. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you remember the original Apple Studio yep. monitor was on don't like a little telescoping that. pedestal. Yeah, I so remember that. So the Vixx or the the, uh, the Genesis chips were were the chip in that Apple Studio display.
0: Oh, interesting. So <laughs> and, and
1: then you know the, the flat panel monitor business just blew up, right?
0: Sure. Yeah. And, and so
1: in pretty short order, Genesis had you know 80, 85 percent of the market share worldwide, which at the time was a, still a relatively small market, but, but substantial nonetheless. And and of course, as it grew, you know, competitors came and the business, you know, morphed and changed and so forth. Um, but that was really the, the Genesis story. We went public, we, you know, we, we blew the company up, we grew our, our earnings tremendously. Uh, we merged with a few others along the way and, uh, you know, took on not just the flat panel monitors, but the emergence of flat panel televisions, the early, early plasma TVs, and all these sorts of things. Um, so lots of sort of emergence of of that type of digital technology right through the whole, you know, 99, 2000, 2001, you know, tech bubble, if you will. Sure. Um, and and then eventually uh, Genesis was acquired by another semi, ST, ST Micro, another semiconductor company um and i left there to go and join another startup that was emerging also here in toronto um called vixus systems
0: okay no that's uh, that's really cool keep keep going sorry
1: yeah so so vixus uh, was in the uh also in the the video chip business when i joined them uh, back in 2005 they were doing wireless video distribution and you know Today, you know, many of us have set-top boxes in our house that are connected wirelessly to another set-top box in the house, but sure. back in 2005, that was, you know, people, it was smoke and mirrors, people didn't believe it could happen, and and so we were, you know, pioneering this stuff. Um, unfortunately, we were about 10 years too early. Sure.
0: Interesting. <laughs> so, yeah, I remember so. that space. Yeah, okay, interesting. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so we we pivoted the company a couple of times um, and and ended up doing some transcoding things. Um, we were quite successful in in the Japanese market. So we have a lot of big Japanese customers, uh, oh, you know, Sharp, Toshiba, Sony, these guys. Um, and and in North America and Europe, we got into the set top box business, making set top boxes that you would find in you know in your living room for you know coming from Comcast or DirecTV or one of these operators. Sure. Um, and, and so forth. And, and, you know, obviously today we see that uh, there's a big, you know, cord cutter community, right? People who are yeah. tired of paying whatever they perceive as big fees to the service operators and want to operate on a, a lower cost model. Um, so, you know, in, as I was leaving Vixus, we initiated a, a, a project to create a solution for over the air video and how to manage that in your home and do a better job of it so that we could deliver what came in from you know in toronto the cn tower right the big big antenna in town
2: yeah
1: um and put up a little antenna on your roof or whatever and bring in all the local channels and then put it into a box that would wi-fi distribute it around the house so you could use your tablet and your computer and your phone as your viewing device And, and really that's the beginnings of what you know, we probably are going to be continuing to see, right? The tablet probably becomes one of the primary viewing devices in most homes.
0: You know, I 100% agree. Um, The interesting thing, just kind of a side note of that, like have you heard of YouTube TV where Google's like live streaming TV service that launched in a bunch of cities across the states? Like this happened in kind of the springtime. I think it was March of 2017.
1: I think I heard of it. I haven't spent a lot of time looking at it, or we're spending a lot of time uh, investigating it.
0: Sure, because it's basically like you can run live TV either in the browser, on your tablet, your phone. Um, you know, obviously it works on a Chromecast, that kind of stuff. So it, Google's doing it yeah. as kind of as well now too, right? So I, I think that that's it's pretty cool to start to see that stuff, right? And I know all the other vendors are doing it, but I think the the YouTube kind of Google experience is actually pretty slick.
1: Yeah, I think one of the one of the challenges with that is, you know, we we live in a pretty privileged environment uh, here in North America mm-hmm. and Western Europe, where where the internet is prolific and it's accessible and it's inexpensive, relatively speaking. Right? Sure. Yeah. And so so that works great if you if you are internet connected. But you know, when you when you become more rural or when you get into you know rural Mexico or, or South America or other emerging countries, they, they don't have that kind of coverage, but they do have big old antennas broadcasting video. Sure. The trouble is that the big old antenna that broadcasts video doesn't broadcast it in a format that these portable mobile devices and things like. Oh, interesting. So okay. how, do you, right, how do you receive it and put it on that device? And that's what this, role, this whole OTA transcoding, transmogrifying thing was about, was about taking those, those broadcast terrestrial signals and putting them in a format as they arrive at the house. It can then be used for Wi-Fi distribution within the house and put it on all those portable devices that like a very specific kind of video, yeah.
0: Oh, cool. No, that's, so, that's very cool. So, so
1: that kinda, that's kind of a, not a bad segue to, to where I am now at play
0: Okay.
1: Um, and, and the segue is that you know, we are today becoming more and more and more. Um, a mobile-first society, Very
2: much right? So.
1: Yep. We see that, you know, Facebook has made the transition to being a mobile-first platform, yep. by and large. Yep. Um, and, and so, you know, play in, um, when we think about our organization, you know, that's, that's where it comes from. It's mobile-first. Sure. So if I'm a mobile user, how do I do X, right?
2: Sure.
1: And, and, or if I'm going to do X, what role does my mobile device have to play in that?
2: Of course, yeah, sure. And,
1: and, you know, it it seems obvious, right? I mean, you know, yeah, of course, everybody has a mobile device. And, you know, in North America, uh, and and I'm not including Mexico, but in Canada and the U.S., there are some 86 million people that have a smartphone, Sure, right, that qualifies as a smartphone. So it's an iPhone or an Android phone of some modern ilk, right? Sure. So that's a lot of people yep <laughs> um and you know for play in of those people um in fact it's not even it's the numbers kind of skewed but if we take a demographic and we say 17 to 35 year olds let's pick on the on the you know Gen X if you will right <laughs> sure uh, or the millennials let's pick on the millennials, uh, 17 to 35 so uh, you know if we take those people and we say okay well in the entertainment business where we're interested in live events, right? Mm -hmm. So those ought to be people who are interested in live events because that's sort of a demographic that usually is, right? And so, okay, so how many people are in that age group who have a smartphone who have gone to a live event in the last year? Probably, what, most of them? (laughs) If
0: not all of them? Like, it's hard not to. It turns
1: out that it's, it's somewhere around 55 or 56 million people. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Okay. So so when we think about playing, we think, well, heck, that's that's a lot of users. Sure. That we can have. Just in one world continent. World, right.
0: Or part of most of a continent, I guess, because like Mexi- you said not including Mexico.
1: Not including Mexico, so, yeah. yeah. Because um, so. the stats on Mexico are, are more obscure. It's a little harder to figure out. Sure. But, you know, yeah, exactly. Just in that little piece of the marketplace, right? So now, obviously... It's, you know, Western economy. It's the first world economy. So we have more smartphone users per capita and people have entertainment as a higher profile piece of their discretionary spending and so forth. Right. Sure. But when, when we at the same time, we look at those fifty five million people and we say, well, how much did they spend to go to a live event? Sure. Well, the average ticket for a music event in North America is eighty dollars.
0: Sure, and I think sometimes that's even on the okay. low
1: end, right? Like,
0: I, I get that's an average, well, that, but depending, yeah. That's
1: an average, and that sure. includes, you know, the, the you know the singer-songwriter down at the pub at the end of the street where there's a $5 cover charge, right? Sure, okay, so, fair enough. You, you know, right. But 80 bucks, yep. right? So 55 million people times $80, and that's if they only went once. Sure, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it starts to be a huge, a huge piece of the economy. Yeah. Surprisingly enough. So, so that's where that's where sort of the the, the play in focus is, right? When we think about our business, we think about where does our business come from? Where will our where can our business come from? Well, it's that piece of the marketplace. It's that group of users. It's the mobile first user who wants to go to events, who's between the ages of 17 and 35. Sure
0: no i I think that's
1: great yeah, we wa- we wandered off track a little bit on that one no no I think <laughs> it's good. with my history we got rated to do that
0: no i I think it's good but i I do kind of want to back up a little bit um in the sense that what made you decide to you know kind of do play in as a startup and and basically kind of dive into the space when yes you've been in startups but you know, now you're kind of at the helm and and doing this thing. So, what was kind of the moment or the deciding factor that made you decide to to do this thing?
1: Well, I mean, the funny thing is, um, when I look back, particularly my time in the last, you know, uh, since two thousand and five with with Vipsis Systems, you know, if I were to describe Vixsys over that time, it was four different startups. Okay. Right when I joined, it was a startup that was doing wireless video, and two years later, it was a startup that was doing transcoding for uh, Blu-ray applications sure. in in Japan, and two years later, it was a startup that was doing set-top boxes for you know cable operators and satellite operators in North America and Europe, and two years after that, it was a startup that was doing an OTA solution, you know, for an emerging marketplace. So I mean, it really was you know over the years that many different companies and, and my role in the company for the duration and even in genesis before that really was i was the greenfield guy i would you know somebody would say we think this might be a good idea john go figure it out
2: interesting right okay and
1: so so i'd get on an airplane and you know i can remember quite succinctly i landed in uh, in Izmir, turkey back in 2002 I think it was, Okay. Um, shortly after the earthquake, so might even before that, and I, I got off this plane, and I, I was working for Genesis, and I got off this plane, I was going to see this company called uh, Vestel, big, big company in, okay. in uh, Turkey, I'd never been to Turkey before, right, I got off this plane, and I got in this taxi, and I didn't speak Turkish, I had no idea, what, I just had an address, <laughs> 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 I handed this guy, <laughs> I handed this this thing with the address, and he couldn't read English, so... He uh, shows it around to the other taxi drivers, and we get and off we go, right? Sure. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm in this taxi, and I we go wandering off down this highway, and the highway turns into a dirt road, and we go up through this mountain range on a dirt road in this crazy old car. And I'm thinking, <laughs> what have I got myself into? Sure. Uh, and, you know, we come down the other side of the mountain, and all of a sudden the road's paved again, and there's this whole city over there. And there's this massive factory, right? Okay. So, I mean, it, it's just... That's that's the greenfield thing, right? You're the first guy in. You're starting from scratch. You don't know anything, and and you know you've got to try and build a business out of it. And we ended up doing quite a lot of business with Vestel and and, and another Turkish company, Bako, over the years. Um, And and so you know, so for me, I've always been sort of doing startups the difference is I w- didn't have to foot the bill, right? I didn't That's have right. to come up with the funding. I, I always had somebody standing behind me or a bigger organization wrapped around me to give me the financial support that I needed in order to, to get the job done.
0: Sure.
1: So with Vixis, you know, I left Vixis um, a little over a year ago and in uh, part of it was just, you know, I'd been there 11 years. We've done these four different startups and, you know, life moves on, right? Yep. And uh, and I decided I I needed to do something different. And as I started to look around at, at other companies, I thought, you know, this can't be that hard. <laughs> I've done this, sure. right? Yeah. Oh, I haven't. I haven't gone and found the funding and so forth. But I I certainly understand and recognize and, and have been a part of all the things that it takes to make a company work to make it successful. To understand what what delivering something, a finished product to a customer that they can use means, right? Sure. And and I look at a lot of the startups that are out there and, and you know, they're rife with very young people and, and as it should be, right? Mm-hmm. They're energetic, they've got great ideas, they're committed, they, they don't have a lot of their own personal overhead, so they can be in that kind of environment. But a lot of them, and not their fault, a lot of them just lack experience. So they make a lot of what are, you know, to many people fairly obvious mistakes and there's a lot of great mentoring and coaching and things out there that helps people through that. Right. Sure. Um, and you know, so, uh, you know, I'm a little older, but, uh, at the same time, I'm, you know, I've been through a lot of those things. I can see a lot of those things coming. I can see the roadblocks coming down the road and I have a plan. So, so when I, when I left, fixes like, okay, what do I really want to do next? Well, I don't really want to be in the chip business anymore.
0: Okay. Sure.
1: But, I, you know, technology obviously is my thing. And so, you know, and I'm feeling like I kind of want to be in charge of my own destiny. Sure. So I went looking around for startup ideas. Okay. I looked at what some people were working on, looked at, you know, different technologies. I'm quite taken with, you know, all the quantum computing activity that's ongoing. Uh, but when I think about quantum, quantum computing and the amount of time that it's going to take, to bring that to fruition and make it a viable commercial solution that the masses can touch, it's beyond my time horizon. Right, I'm looking for something that's a little earlier than that. So, um, going through this process, and I met, you know, my co-founder now, Jeremy. Okay. Um, Jeremy comes from the uh, the events organizing business. Sure. How He's did you meet him? Events. I've
0: always loved those stories. <laughs> <laughs> we actually met on AngelList. Oh, interesting. Okay. So,
1: yeah, we 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 found each other on AngelList and we just struck up a conversation and we started chatting. At the time I was actually having a very similar conversation with another founder um at another company and uh the two were, were sort of polar opposites. Um the other company was you know very well planned, very detailed, had a you know had written all the letters of their of their business plan and had all their eyes dotted and their T's crossed and but they couldn't get the app out the door. They couldn't get the platform built. They couldn't. They couldn't close on the decision making that said this is what our MVP is going to look like, and we're going to push it out the door and make it happen. Sure. And just you know, for the record, they still haven't. <laughs> so I was having, having that conversation with them, and then I was having this conversation with Jeremy, and and Jeremy said, "You know, we just launched our MVP." I said, well, what does it do? He said, well, not very much.
0: <laughs> which is, which is a perfect MVP, right?
1: So, yeah, you know, exactly. So, yeah. so I, you know, I thought, okay, well, that's bold, right? I like this. Sure. And we started talking and it became apparent that, you know, he's, he's a man of action. He's an action bias, which is great. Um, he has good ideas. He, he definitely saw an opportunity in the events business and in the entertainment business that wasn't being met. Sure. Um, and, but he, you know, he needed more structure. We needed more structure. So I said, well, look, I, you know, we can do this. Sure. And so this, you know, the star is born, if you will. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, we've been we've been working on it since then. So we, you know, our MVP is out there. We, uh, we, um, you know, got up, you know, a few hundred users on it, let them all go away and use it for a while and listen to everything they told us that was terrible about what we'd done. Um, And, and of course, told us some good things about what we've done as well.
2: Sure. Uh,
1: And so we were encouraged by all of that. And we did a, you know, made a hard decision in June to sort of stop everything on the the existing platform and redesign from the ground up to make the changes that we needed to make in the foundation to support what the users were asking for. Um, Meanwhile, our back end and our website were still running. Gotcha. Right? Now, I mentioned that we are mobile first. Mm -hmm. Um, We do have a website. Um, uh, We don't, it doesn't have a lot of our focus because we really are mobile first. Sure. Uh, but the website was running and the existing app, such as it was, we continued to run. And on August 8th, we relaunched a new application, a new platform. And in the process, we went to um, a hybrid uh, app platform. So we launched both on iOS and on Android. And they're by and large pretty much in lockstep in terms of feature availability.
0: Sure. What what cross platform uh, software did you just out of curiosity? It's React Native. Yeah, okay. I I I kind of assumed, but I I was curious. No, it makes that makes a lot of sense. And React's getting a lot of popularity because of you know obviously it's backed by Facebook, um, and it's pretty hard to argue with uh, their success on mobile, right? (laughs) They're probably one of if not the best. You, you you know. So no, I think that's great. But go ahead. What were you going to say? There
1: there are some others. I mean, Google has their own platform, right? Yeah. Uh, Flutter, I think it's called. Um, And and there's lots of excellent choices. You know, obviously, every business has to make their own decisions for their own reasons. And and for us, one of them is, you know, we're not, I mean, yes, we're a technology company. Yes, we're a software as a service. But we're not, from our perspective, it's not really important for us to be at the, the bleeding edge of the technology. Um, And in fact, from a resourcing perspective, it's better if we're not. If we're just a little bit behind that bleeding edge and and when the libraries start to mature a little bit and the APIs are more stable and things like that, then it's easier for us to manage. And our real job here is to deliver a user experience that satisfies the niche that we're trying to address, right? Sure. Um, and, And so, you know... I'm not really interested in technology just for the purposes of technologies. You know, developer guys love to always be on the very, very, very latest thing. Sure. Um, As long as they're allowed to play with it and they don't actually have to develop and deliver anything, right? Sure.
0: No, (laughs) (laughs) totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So. Yeah, so that's why we chose React is we felt like it was mature enough, it's still modern, you know, new enough that it's got all the modern things in it that we need. Yeah. You're right, it's tied to Facebook, which is a great platform and we're members of the Facebook Start program and we do rely very heavily on a lot of Facebook's public APIs and things to make our our whole platform work. Nice. Um so, you know, it made, made a lot of sense for us.
0: No, that's great. So, how did you guys kind of fund the company? Did you raise some money? You Put some money in yourselves. Walk me through kind of the funding process.
1: Yeah, today we're bootstrapped. Okay. Um, and we have we've received a, a very small amount of funding um, in the form of uh, of a grant from from the Alberta government in Canada. Nice. Um, and that funding goes. It's not really money that goes into the company. It's funding that gets paid to a subcontractor so gotcha. we subcontract the, the software development and, and they write an invoice to us which we hand to the government and they write a check to them you know through, through it's a triangle
0: no <laughs> yeah, that's cool no that's great man i i think that's great so we've kind of skirted around the platform and i, I think people can kind of sure. figure out kind of what you guys are doing but do you do you maybe want to kind of give a, a better overview of exactly what playing does and and kind of your focus? Sure. Um,
1: So, I mean, I I mentioned, I think, that it's a software as a service. Um, We really have two two cohorts, right? We have people who organize events, um, and by events, I mean, you know, live music, festivals, comedy, you know, the singer-songwriter in a bar down the street right on up to, you know, uh, Coachella, right? Sure. I mean, that's really what we're talking about. Um, and, and, but it goes further than that. It includes things like, um, amateur sports, you know, people, sure. people doing sports, uh, sporting events they want, anything that you want to bring a group of people together for a reason, right. Sure. And have a drive behind it. So, so it's really a platform to serve those people and give them a way that they can better reach their audience. And in particular, the mobile first audience.
2: Sure. Right. Yep. So
1: that's one cohort are the events organizers and I'll just call them, we call them clients. Okay. Um, just because we have to have a separation between who's who, right? We have clients and we have members. Members are, you know, the people who hold the mobile device in their hand and use the platform. Sure. Okay.
2: Yeah.
1: So clients, clients choose the platform because it gives them the ability to, to, you know, to um, help people discover their event. So we have a, you know, a sponsorship program and advertising program sort of built in, and obviously, events discovery is important. And then the next thing is we want to entice people to come to the event, and when they do that, they should have a different and better time at the event than they would if they didn't have the platform. Right. Right? So so that gets us sort of into the second core, which is the user. Um, and then the organizer likes to have some other things. They like to have an opportunity to be able to speak to their audience. You know, we don't live in a world today where where an event really is – a guy standing at the front of the room and a box with a bunch of people in it. It just doesn't work that way anymore, right? As soon sure. as you put a mobile device in someone's hand, even if that's the environment you're in, half the people in the room are browsing subcontent, yeah. right? Yeah, totally. Or whatever that, that's related to the event or chatting with each other or whatever the case may be. So what we want to do is we want to encourage that, right? Let's, let's make that be part of the event, but let's make it be part of the event in a managed and curated way that the organizer can benefit from instead of them being cut out of the picture, right? Sure. So so we provide the organizer a way that they can communicate with their audience as a group while they're there. They can, you know, ping them with, um, hey, there's an upcoming blah, blah, blah. So I'll give you an example. We did an event uh, in Long Beach back in August called uh, Wonder Woman Tech, which okay. has sort of a business conference-style event. Yeah. Um, and they had, a, you know, 150 different speakers speaking at the event. Oh, wow. And so – they, they offered up the platform. They said, hey, everybody get this app. Yeah. And when you have it, when you come to the event, you'll get notifications. And they sent notifications out to everybody saying, hey, don't forget, so-and-so is starting to speak over here. Sure. If you want to know where so-and-so is, they're speaking over here. Here's a recap of uh, of our keynote if you missed it. You know, Or, hey, we had a change. Somebody couldn't make it. So this speaker is now speaking over here at this time instead of this. So they're able to reach out to their audience. And rather than having to, you know send out emails, and hope that somebody found them. They had a way where they could, with a single interface, just plug in a message, hit go, and hit everybody at had the platform all at once, right?
2: Yeah. No, Meanwhile, totally. yeah.
1: Because, because it's a business event, these people want to interact, they want to communicate, they want to connect, they want to network. Sure. And so the app has a conversations feature in it where within the venue and within the context of the event, they can j- meet each other, with a set of filters, it says I want to meet people that are like this, right, sure. or like that. Um, and they can meet each other, and if they both agree, then they can start a conversation. The nice thing is that when they leave the event, that conversation continues. The conversation doesn't get left behind with the event. And the beauty of it is that the platform, the app that they now have, doesn't get left behind at the event. I don't know if you've, if you've ever been to an event. You go there, and they have a great app, and they, you know, you download the app and you do the event. And at the end of the event, what do you do?
0: Yeah, the, the app's the over, app. right? I, and even if you even though there's, yeah. there's like a chat functionality, yeah, no, it, it totally makes sense. I, I totally get the platform. Like I've, I, I know the yeah. need that you guys are kind of filling. So I, I think it's interesting. But, but keep going. I, I think so it's and,
1: good. And from a business perspective, if I'm the organizer, if everybody walks out the door and deletes the app, I have to go in to reacquire them as a, mm-hmm. as a customer, as an app user, as an event attendee, the next time I want them to come. And I don't have a way to do that because they've already deleted my app. Yep. Right? Exactly. So if I give them a pervasive app, a generic app that can reside on my phone, and and I as a user like to have it on my phone because when I go home, it geolocates me and it says, oh, geez, John, you're home now. Um, Hey, here's all the events that are happening around you today. Here's what's coming up this weekend in your neighborhood. Right? Now I've got an app on my phone that's kind of useful to me.
2: Sure. Right? And
1: so, you know, when I want to go back to that event, when I walk into the next event, it says, hey, John, you've just arrived at blah, blah, blah. Do you want to join this event? You say, yeah, I sure do. And all of a sudden, all those event-specific features are available to you again, and the organizer can communicate to you as a member of the audience.
0: Sure. Well, and the other thing, too, is eventually you could start recommending things based on past events I've attended. You could start recommending people that you were chatting with at, Um, an event that you've both been to, you know, in the past, there's a handful of things that you guys can do based on kind of known location and known interactions with other people, right? Because it's pretty cool when you go to a city that you, you know, you haven't seen somebody in a while or, you know, you met them at a conference and then the next year at that same conference, you, you just reconnect. It it makes a lot of sense. Well, and and in fact,
1: there's a, for every event, there's a pre-event. So if you say, hey, I'm thinking about going to this event, you click on I'm interested and it'll say, do you want to join the pre-event room?" you say yes. And then as other people join, you can meet them, sure. right? And so if you've met them before, when they join, it's going to tell you, you're going to get a notification saying, hey, your friend so-and-so is also interested in this event. So you can say, hey, hey, Fred, I didn't know you were planning to go to this event. I was thinking about it too. You know, if you're in, I'm in, let's, you know, get, a, get an Uber together. Right,
2: right, sure, and right.
1: and so now now you're going to your share rides, or you can arrange to meet somebody. You can have the conversation beforehand. You know, you can plan to meet at a bar, whatever it is, right? Sure. you know, if you're going out to a nightclub, you can go and pre you know meet somewhere else and have dinner and drinks before you go to the nightclub, whatever the case may be. So you know, the, yes, you're you're absolutely right. There's the you know, once you've connected once, we know you've connected. Maybe you you know you get off. I uh, fly around a lot, right? I've got a, you know millions and millions of miles under my belt maybe I get off a plane and this has happened by the way but if I get off a plane in Singapore my app says hey John you're in Singapore did you know that George is also in Singapore It's like God, oh, I didn't know George was gonna be here hey George sure. you know because you're just gonna sit around in a hotel and do nothing anyway right so
0: no I 100% agree yeah. like I know some people think that like location tracking and stuff is kind of creepy but like I I think those people will eventually kind of get over it because it's already happening. And I think majority of the people, especially kind of the millennials and kind of younger than that, don't even think about it. Like it's, it's almost like it's expected, right? And so maybe the older generation, at least some of them maybe think it's creepy. I think like a lot more people are starting to actually want that. And to be honest, like... Part of the reason that I prefer kind of an Android phone over over the iPhone is because of some of that, like I try to use as many Google services as possible because I want it to start recommending stuff to me or, or apps kind of like Google that recommends stuff to me based on location because to your point a second ago, it's like, oh, I haven't seen this person in a while. I didn't even know we're both in the same city. We should like message each other to meet up, right? And I think that's really cool
1: well uh, sure i mean there's you know there are all kinds of ethical questions that come up along the way right and and it's a complicated path because you nailed it you know there's there's there are people who sit on the I'm not sharing anything with you fence. Sure. And there's yeah. people that sit on that. Oh, I don't care. Just whatever. You're going to figure it out anyway, even if I don't tell you, right? Sure. So, yep. you know, and it, interestingly enough, watching people like, you know, we have a, we have a way where when you're using the the platform, you can share the app with somebody. So you're standing next to them. And they're like, Oh, that's was pretty cool. And you just go, well here, boom, and you share it with them. Right. And it's interesting to watch them on board. Right? Sure. Yeah. Because I I I've watched that. people from, you know, from 15 years old on up to, you know, 70 years old on board and it, it's very interesting to watch the differences in behavior of the different age groups. Sure, I can imagine. Uh, sometimes it's surprising, you know. So, I mean, it's, it, that in itself is sort of, it's kind of an exciting part of the business is to watch the human interaction. Sure. Um, but at the same time, it's an important part of what we, what we do when, when we, you know, when we think about designing a feature for the app, right? You know, if we do it this way, does that, how, how are people going to feel about that? How is the younger set going to feel about that? How is the older set going to feel about that? How are the women going to feel about that? Sure. How is this going to feel to somebody who is gender not specific? Sure. Right? Yep. Are we? Are you know? So there's a lot. As soon as you get into the social side, right? There's a lot of things you've got to think about. You know, even simple stuff. You know, our our developers couldn't understand why we really didn't want them to show anybody's last name on sure. the surface of the app. Yeah,
2: I get like that. what we have. Is
1: it's like yeah, yeah. But we don't want everybody else to know everybody else's last name. Right. Sure. I, that you know, unless somebody really specifically wants to share their last name, let's not make it <laughs>
0: happen
1: that way, right?
0: No, I understand <laughs> agree.
1: Yeah. So yeah. And and you know, there's a there's an age filter in there. Lots of people don't want to share their age or they put a fake age in. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um you know, so so there's there's certainly lots of things that come up in terms of ethics in terms of how you want to run your business there. But you're right, Kevin, that, that when we step back and we look at it, you know, in essence, really we're creating a very, very large data scoop. And, and with that data scoop, and we add some AI technology behind it, um, we'll have the ability to be probably very accurate about making recommendations for the types of things that might be interesting to you, even if you didn't know they were interesting to you, Sure. Um, and you know, for introducing you to like-minded individuals, wherever it might be that you happen to be. You know, many of those features, we those are longer-term features, right? Longer horizon, they get kind of complicated, um, and we need... You know, the more data we have, the better at it we will be. We do have a, a suggested feature already. Yeah, um, it's based on you your likes on Facebook, but it's also based on you putting in some filters and things and saying, "Hey, so these are the things I'm interested in seeing," and it will recommend things for you. You know, it, it is geolocating, but it doesn't it doesn't follow you around. You have to actually open the app, gotcha, and it will check your location when gotcha. you open the app. No,
0: no, yeah. I, I think that's we, great. Keep going, sorry. So there's a
1: long running debate about whether we should check check your location in the background or not. Um and, and we may do it at some point, but right now it's uh it's not a high priority. Sure.
0: No, that makes sense. And I, I think the other thing too, and I'm curious to know if you're you're doing it already or if you're gonna do it, is like if I'm at a concert or something with friends or and obviously, you know, everybody else that's there, um, you know, and I take photos or video, like if the app kind of will curate that or let me share you know, my video, because the the what I saw recently is obviously everybody knows kind of like who Guns N' Roses are and they've been kind of on a huge world tour. And what I found, I just kind of stumbled into on, on YouTube the other day because they came through my city not too long ago. I didn't go, but a couple of guys at work went and I knew a few other people that went, but somebody, it had to be on the crew of like, I, I think like one of their sound guys or, or whatever. He basically took all the footage that, you know, they they either shot as the band or all like just clearly people shot of the show and he pieced together the whole set list. So like you could see some are shot from total different angles, some are better quality or not. And then he pieced together the whole show. And I thought that was kind of cool, right? Where you could just take a bunch of publicly available content that clearly people posted to YouTube. And then, you know, somebody compiled it, the whole show. So you could basically watch show you were at or or an event you were at or see photos from other people's kind of viewpoints of, of something that was kind of a cool thing so have you thought about kind of doing stuff like that or, or are you guys already doing that
1: yeah Kevin okay, I should make you an advocate for the company and just make it public um, the, uh, the reality is yes so sure. because we've added in as I mentioned the social feature right the ability to meet and match with people and so forth Um, And the live, what we call the play live events room. Okay. The Play live events room is a room, so to speak, a virtual room that takes place uh, when you're in an event. So it won't, it doesn't get created until there's at least 10 people using the platform at an event. So you don't get in there and it's like just you by yourself. Well, this is really lame, right? We want to make sure that you have a good experience when you get there. But as soon as there's 10 people using the platform, it creates this live event room and you have the ability to create stories, kind of like what Snapchat does, sure. right? Yeah. You can be able to create stories at the event. And so when you're at the event, even in real time, you'll be able to see, hey, here's my buddy. He who's standing over there on the other side of the stage. And here's what he's seeing right now, right? Yeah. So you can look around and see what other people are experiencing and so forth. Um, at the moment, our plan is that um, those stories will terminate when the event terminates.
2: Okay. And the reason
1: is that, some of us um, have different sets of responsibilities when we're not at an event. And it may be that we don't want that stuff living permanently in infamy. Sure. Things may get seen or shown or even associated with us because we took a picture of the guy standing next to us smoking something that he shouldn't have been smoking or whatever. Yeah. You know, we don't necessarily want to expose. Right. So, So, so we'll probably terminate those things. That said, um, there's some discussion and it's not a decision yet, but some discussion about giving you the option where you as a user during the show can just say yes and make it permanent. Okay. So afterwards there's basically a a whole show storyboard where all the people that said, yes, this one can stay, this one can stay, this one can stay. They can be available to be viewed. The question then becomes who owns that content or who can monetize that content or does it get monetized and is it the organizer that has the rights to monetize it? Or is it, you know, is it, nobody should be able to monet you know?
0: Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah no, like, totally. <laughs> that, that, and actually that's, I think that's kind of um, like, that's super fascinating to me because that's such a gray area, right? Like everybody has yeah. an opinion and it's probably related to kind of what you touched on a second ago with kind of, if somebody's doing something that illegal or or maybe that they shouldn't be doing that if that could affect them post event. I I think the other thing too is probably even age of certain people at certain events, right? Because yeah, well, there's,
1: there's no question that we will have an 18, like an age barrier at the age of 18. We were discussing this yesterday, okay, Um, that that, you know, people under 18 and people over 18, we we definitely are going to draw a line somewhere in there. We're not quite sure how we're going to do it or how what flavor is going to take. But we do want to try and protect, you know, the under eighteen crowd, and they don't necessarily like being protected. So it has to be done in a way that's attractive to them and appealing to them, and not restrictive to them. But by the same token, gives them some sort of protection. It's, it's very difficult to do because, as I said, people put in fake ages, yeah, folks, exactly, so, and it's hard to validate that, right? Sure. But at a certain point, is that really, you know? You put a disclaimer in there, and is that, does it, is that our responsibility at that point? I mean, how far does it go? And, and certainly that's a conversation we have with lawyers and things. Sure. <laughs> and they, and they, ha- they all have different opinions, as you said. Oh, yes. So, um, these, are, these are definitely some things that we face as we roll out these individual features. And, and there's no question that early on, as we are now, right, we're able to deploy I mean, fairly substantial feature sets before we start bumping into some of these yep. boundaries, right? Um, and, and so the, the sort of the, the velocity of deployment is definitely going to decrease, um, you know, because of, because we have to take more considered action, uh, as we get into some of these more complicated issues for sure.
0: Yeah, no, I, but I also think you need to push kind of technology and society forward, right? Like more and more people are expecting a more intimate experience and an interaction with kind of other people that enjoy obviously the same kind of things. And and a lot of people I think go to at least certain types of events to meet other people, whether it's just for, you know, kind of networking or friendship or or dating or or other, it doesn't really matter. But I I think, you know, so I I think people are kind of expecting what you guys are doing and kind of figuring out the, the space related to kind of all the privacy and, you know non-privacy stuff it, it can get tricky but but I think it's great that you guys are exploring that and kind of pushing things forward with that
1: well and we've you know we've not really talked about what is probably the most compelling feature of the platform which is ultimately um, as the marketplace grows because it really is a marketplace right we've got the organizers sure. who want people to come to their events and we've got people who yep. want to go to events and many of them probably don't want to spend 80 dollars a ticket to do it. Sure. Right? And many of these organizers will have a venue that maybe the venue seats a thousand people, okay. right? And they've sold tickets and so forth. And they, you know, they held back some for friends and family and blah, blah, blah. And maybe they've got a hundred tickets left and it's two days before the event. Sure. Right. Now in, in the traditional marketplace, what would they do? Well, one, they try and sell them at the door. Yep. But you got to hope there's walk-ups and it's very unpredictable. You just don't know if they're going to sell, right? Yep. Two, you remarket them, you put them back out there and you run a little campaign around it to try and get that last little push of people to sign up and and come, right? But that's quite expensive because it's A, you got to do it urgently. B, you want to hit people over the head with it, you know. And, And so those last few tickets can be quite expensive to market and maybe it's not worth it. But the underlying thing is, that's where all the margin for the for the operator is and or the organizer is right. Yep. Because they paid for the venue, they know that their are cut off to pay for the venue is whatever it is. Six hundred and fifty people will pick a number, right?
2: Sure.
1: Um, and so you know, every seat they sell after that, or every every person, every you know warm fleshy body they put in that venue beyond that, that's where the margins at. They get better secondary sales. They get more energy in the event. They sold that ticket, whatever it is, right? Yep. To expand their audience so so for us that's again another opportunity and so we provide those events organizers with a way to provide tickets gotcha. to users specifically the excess inventory tickets or extra value tickets right buy a regular price ticket claim this VIP upgrade off of the plan platform and you'll get front of the line access so sure. you don't have to wait in line or get this VIP upgrade and get seats. Yep. Or get this, you know, VIP upgrade, and you know the first few drinks you buy come with a, you know, an order of fries, or you know whatever it is, sure. right? Yep. And so the, the beauty of those upgrades is they they don't actually cost the organizer as much, right, as the face value, um, or maybe nothing to give you front of the line access, right? Sure. It makes you feel special as a user, and it, it it gives you an extra incentive to go to that event. So that's really you know, and, and of course we will move towards selling tickets. But right now our, our, our focus is excess inventory and upgrade sales or upgrade deliveries. Okay. So, okay. So that's great. They're on there. What do I do as a user? Well, as a member, you can claim things that the organizer says, you'll be able to claim this for free. But If the organizer says, well, I don't want to make this free. I'd be willing to take less than face value. I don't want to stop how it or whatever the case may be. Right. Secondary market thing. Yeah. So we put it on play in, And people who are subscribers to plan pay a monthly fee to subscribe, they will be able to access those. And then we pay a royalty out of the monthly program to the events organizer. It won't be face value, it'll be something less. But it gives them a way to again attract people. It gives the people who are subscribers an opportunity to gain a ticket for basically free, right? They've already paid their monthly subscription. So, you know, think Netflix, right? Eight bucks a month. You go to as many events as you want. Yeah. No, I think right? that's great. Yeah. Tickets are... And the beauty of that is you could be, you know, come out of work. It's a little bit early. And you say, oh, hey, Rita, what are you doing tonight? And she says, I don't know. What do you want to do? You can say, well, let me check what's on. You look on play and it geolocates you. It says, here's all the events happening tonight, like right where you are.
2: Sure. And it
1: gives you, you know, a proximity, right? And then, hey, there's tickets for this one, this one, and this one. And you go, well, there's tickets for this and this and this. And Rita says, well, that wouldn't be great. So you go great. Let me claim a ticket. You go and you claim a ticket for that event for you and a friend. and you go to the event, and it was free.
0: Sure. No, and I. You can do
1: that as many times as you want.
0: No, I right. think that's great. So, I, so that, keep going.
1: It's really about you know the, the whole events business, right? The first the first challenge is to be discovered. Mm-hmm. And lots of events, big brand names and stuff. You know, you probably know about them already. But there's a huge, massive number of events. It's like the tip of the iceberg. The rest of the iceberg is all these other events you didn't even know are happening around you. Totally. I watch people, you know, get the platform. They turn it on and they go, I had no idea all these events were going on around me, right?
2: Sure.
1: Which is great. That's what we want. So discovery is important. And then when you go to the event, right, we've we've taken people, hopefully, mobile-first people, and we said, okay, you've got your mobile phone in your hand. It's going to lead you to this event. You've got to the event. You've got out of your living room now. Step one, right? Sure, yeah. You you go to the event. Now, Now let's give you an experience at the event that's akin to what you've come to you know, expect from a social network platform and so forth, and give you that storyboarding, give you communication, giving you the, the ability to meet people, giving you the ability to conversations, blah, blah blah. Give the audience the, the organizer a chance to send you offers during the thing, right? Hey, rush to the bar right now, you know, buy two, two beers and get two free shots, whatever it is. Sure. depending on legislation, you may or may not be able to do that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, so um, and, and things like that, right? So now you're getting a unique experience. You're getting a special experience. You get treated like a VIP, even if you, you, know, you didn't buy the VIP ticket. And the organizer, there'll be a feature in the app in the very near future, which will allow you to say, Hey, I'm having a good time. Or oh, I'm not really having a good time. And you just click on a button, right? Kind of periscopey with the hearts thing.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and, uh, and the events organizer will get a thermometer that says, so my crowd's having a really good time or, Oh boy, my crowd's not really having a very good time. And they can dynamically change how they're handling the event sure. to address that.
0: Interesting. They don't have to
1: wait until the crowd's already started walking out the door. They can do it in real time. Interesting. So the whole thing is about, you know, discovery. And then when you get to the event, give you a better event experience, right? Yep. And then the last one is let's take away that offensive ticket cost.
0: Okay, sure.
1: And let's make it possible for you to go to as many events as you feel like going to at a price tag that's affordable to you. If I make it 8 bucks a month and you spend that for a year… Yeah right
0: Totally. Yep. now
1: you've spent right 100 bucks and you know you've gone to as many events as you want well if you went to one event it's been 80 bucks average so chances are you're getting a pretty good deal
0: no i 100 percent agree with you but but sadly john we're we're coming to the end of the show so let's close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself and playing online
1: Sure. Well, I, I mean, certainly you can find information about me, um, you know, uh, my Twitter handle is at John Pomeroy, um, or you can do uh, at PlayInch Network, which is a little tricksy. Best is just to go to the PlayN website, playn.co. Uh, you'll find us there. Um, and likewise, if you're very interested in investing and so forth, you can find us on Crunchbase, AngelList, on f and so forth.
0: Perfect, John. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time under your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day.
1: All right. Thank you very much, Kevin.
0: Thanks, man. Later. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep them for the future.